Welcome to Foothills Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Doug Peak. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit foothills.org. Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church, all of you up in the balcony, all you guys down here, all of you doing church at home, all of you across the globe, even if you're colonizing Mars, we are welcoming you here today. That last part was a joke. We are concluding our series, FH Strong, and since our church is all about Jesus, We were just trying to simply get people as a community of faith at Foothills to focus on how Jesus grows us strong in the midst of adversity. And I was thinking about our world right now. It just seems like it's spinning out of control. It doesn't seem like anybody has an answer for what's going on with this pandemic. It's just growing and going and growing and going. We look at our politics all across the globe, not just America, are so divided. We look at so many places, including right now, uh, many of the major cities, there's riots constantly happening. There's also uh, a report from the UN about uh, a food supply in third world countries, and it just seems like things are going crazy. And so our question is, well, where is Jesus right now? What is Jesus actually doing? And what difference does it make following him in the midst of this? Well, we looked at a very important statement that he made in John chapter 16, verse 33. What we did is we decided to dig deep into this verse and discover what it means and apply it to every given situation over the last nine weeks. Here's the verse. I have told you these things. So everything that Jesus taught, it says, has a purpose so that in me, you may have peace. So everything he taught, he did for the purpose that we would discover him or figure out how to be in him and in the process, be given peace. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. There's all kinds of problems in this world and the problems out there are giving you problems. And he says, because of that, you must take heart. So that's the concept of I need to find my courage. I need to grab a hold of my faith and I need to get stronger. So he says, take heart. Now, the reason you can do this is because Jesus himself has paved the way. He's the example. He says, take heart because I have overcome the world. Now, if I am in Jesus, I can have peace. And because he has already overcome the world, I can take heart. This whole series was all about how do I take heart. So we talked about courage. We talked about perseverance. We talked about endurance. We talked about suffering. We've talked about all of these different things, our character in the process of taking heart. And today, more than any other day, I want to tie it all together just for you. And how this comes together is that Jesus gives us courage, stronger character, perseverance, endurance, focus, all of these things because of his love. It's all because of the love of Jesus Christ. Now, the thing that I would like to point out is that 
the power of his love is what brings peace in the midst of your troubles. Now, are you struggling with COVID right now? I know many, there's people in our church, there's people in our neighborhood that have gotten COVID. Some people got it, they didn't even know they had it. Other people, it has just devastated them. We know people that have died from it. Are you struggling with this illness? Are you struggling with another diagnosis? Maybe heart disease or cancer. Maybe there's some type of other physical thing that's really going on in your life. How do you take courage or how do you get through this adversity? Jesus will love you through it. Maybe you're, you're struggling with uh, an increase in isolation, one of the things that uh, I just recently read is that the prescription for Zoloft and other antidepressants have gone through the roof. Isolation causes people to be emotionally insecure and their depression rises up. Are, are you, how are you going to get through that? Well, if you're in Christ, he can love you through it. Maybe you're in a situation where your business has just been overwhelmingly impacted in such a negative way by all the things going on. How do you get through this? Well, you find peace in Christ as he loves you through it. Now, what I like to do is kind of discover how he does that and why this message ties all the messages prior together for a very important biblical point. But in order to do that, we need to start with a basic power of love equation, okay? Now, the power of love equation kind of goes like this, and that is we always start with a premise that applies to every human being, regardless of their religion or their belief system or what continent they were born on, and that is, is this is something that every human being uh, buys into and agrees with, and that is all human beings are driven by love, so we have not only seen that the Bible says this, but all research points to the fact that human beings are driven by love, and if there is no love, they never become fully uh, reaching their potential, and they have all kinds of issues and problems. So let's dig into that a little bit differently. The second part of our equation of power of love is that good love or authentic healthy love is flourishing. It always in encourages you and builds you up. Uh, there's no such thing as perfect love. There's no way in heaven that human beings who are imperfect can love perfectly. But, you know, when we try to love and we try to do a good job, we create a healthy relationships, healthy environments. It's really good for kids growing up in that environment. When, when you're married to someone who's trying to create a, a good love in your marriage, it helps your marriage grow stronger. Parenting, you know, if you love your kids and they love you, that creates a, a greater flourishing. That doesn't matter, uh, mean that there's not, you know, little uh, hiccups along the road, but overall that creates flourishing in human beings. And the opposite of that is true as well. And that is inauthentic or unhealthy love destroys people. When there's really dysfunctional, bad love, it really hurts and destroys people. I knew a girl a while back and she was dating a guy in high school and they were kind of uh, high school sweethearts. And then after high school, uh, they went to college together and they got an apartment together. And after the first semester, she had, she had kind of a scholarship to go and he didn't, but 
after the first semester, he, he and her talked about it, and basically she decided to quit school and get two full-time jobs almost. She served in a coffee shop uh, every morning, and then she worked in a restaurant, made really, really good tips. And so for the next three and a half years, she supported him as he went through college because he wanted to go to law school. So he graduated with a degree in uh, pre-law. He took his LSATs his senior year, got really, really good grades. He, he was accepted to a law school. And then the day after he graduated, while she was at work, he moved out and served her with divorce papers. And so what he did is he used her to support him during college. And then as soon as he got what he wanted, he took off. Now, uh, in seminary, there's a, uh, a course where you take, where you kind of diagnose these different things and when people act this way and when guys do this sort of stuff. And it comes from kind of a, a really old English term in this diagnosis, and it's called being a dirty dog. That's what he was. He's just a dirty dog. He was bad at love. He was inauthentic love. He wasn't loving her in a good way, but a total way. And guess what? Now, every time she would try to go out and try to start a relationship with somebody, all of this hurt and all these defenses came up. And man, it was such a thing is that bad love weakens you and undermines you. So the real question then becomes, if I'm driven by love and I can't live without it, good love is good for me, bad love is really, really bad for me, how do I know the difference between the two, you know? I mean, it seemed like to this gal that she was experiencing good love, right? But it turned out that it wasn't. How do you know the difference between the two? Well, the answer is found in the first chapter of, or the fourth chapter of the book of First John. So if you brought your Bibles, I'd like you to turn to 1 John, and I would like you to go to chapter 4, and we're going to dig into that. Now, what I want to do before I do that is I want to talk a little bit about how when preachers, people who do what I do, preach on 1 John, what they do is sometimes they miscommunicate, but not, not intentionally, but it's an accident. And that is because there's 21 verses, it's hard to squeeze that into a message. And so what happens is people will pick highlights and they pick the highlights where it says, God is love and then beloved, let us love one another because love comes from God. Now, the difficulty, though, is that this miscommunicates the point because you miss what he says in verses 1 through uh, 6, and then you miss the section at the end. And when you miss these sections, what it does is you misunderstand love. And what I want you to know is this, is that God is love, and we love others because God loves us. But here's what he's trying to say in this whole chapter. You can't love others until you experience the love of God first. And you can't experience the love of God until you experience the truth. And people today are struggling with experiencing good love because number one, they're not connected to God. And because of number two, they're using a subjective understanding or a subjective knowing of love instead of an objective knowing of what real love is. Now, this is an abstract concept. I get it, but it has far-reaching influence in your life. So let's kind of dig into this a little bit deeper, and that is the entire book of 1 John is a refutation of, you ready? Gnosticism. And you're like, oh, man, 
I don't want to go back to school yet. Do we really have to? Okay, let me give you a quick breakdown. Gnosticism comes from the Greek word Gnostic, which is where we get the word knowledge. So Gnosticism is simply a form of saying knowledge. Now, what is Gnosticism? It's an approach to how you know something is true. Okay, we all believe things, right? We all believe certain things. We all base our decisions and our actions and our behaviors. The goals that we set, the objectives we're trying to achieve are based upon beliefs, things that we know. And the question is, is how do you know what you believe and how do you know what you know is true? Now, there's really two basic ways, and this is what John the Apostle was writing in his book, 1 John. And that is, first and foremost, there's an objective way of knowing what is real, and that is looking to God, who is outside of you. So that is objective. The other way is that you interpret love and how to experience love subjectively. It's what makes me happy or what I feel is right. Gnosticism puts all the emphasis on subjective knowing. The gospel of Jesus puts the basis of love on objective experiencing God. So let's dig into this and see how it works. It starts with the first three verses, and we're going to read one through three and then talk about it. Now, if you're taking notes, you can go to your app on your phone, whether you're in the auditorium or you're at home or you're across the globe or even on Mars, and you can uh, fill in the blanks and see all the passages of Scripture there as well. So Verses uh, one through three say the following. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit. Now, what does he mean by spirit? Well, what, what he's using this word to mean directly is a way of thinking, all right? A certain pattern of thinking, a set of beliefs, okay? Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. This is how you know you can recognize the Spirit of God. Verse 3 tells us, he says, you recognize it that every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge. Now, I want you to notice these words, acknowledge. What is right in the middle of acknowledge? It means accepting the knowledge, the fact. What is the word Gnosticism that he's refuting? It's how you know. So every spirit that acknowledges, what must I acknowledge with my mind? Well, Jesus is the Messiah and he came in the flesh, all right? If they are unwilling to acknowledge that Jesus is not from God, this is the spirit of what? The Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So what he's saying is that there's two options here of how you know what's true. One is true because it comes from God. The other one, which comes from the world, which is the spirit of the Antichrist, is false. And it's primarily false because it's based on subjective knowing. And we're going to dig in and figure out how we know this in a moment. As a follower of Jesus... I have seen this truth play out in my own life numerous, numerous times. Uh, Since I have a few uh, decades under my belt and following Jesus, I've found a pattern in my own life. And you know what that pattern is? Whenever I am successful at anything I do, whether it be being married or 
raising kids or leading a church or counseling or helping consult with people, helping people work through issues in their life, is that whenever I am following Jesus in my endeavor, I seek to keep him first in that endeavor, guess what? I'm successful. I'm really successful, particularly in my marriage, in my parenting, in my family, in my business, you know, these, these types of things. When I'm following Jesus, I'm really successful. But guess what? Whenever I start following myself, I tend to crash and burn. I don't know if you have that, but I do. And what that tells me is that when I am objectively letting Jesus lead me and guide me, I make so much better decisions because I'm loving as God loves me. But when I use my own definition of love, that's when I tend to get a little selfish and off course and I crash and burn. So I really want to know, how do I know if I am loving with God's love when I'm following him better or where I'm listening to my own subjective love? Now, the way we do that is found in verses four through six. And let's read those. You, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. Isn't that a great verse? In the New American Standard Version, it says this, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And that is, okay, so the first way I know is that because God is in me, all right? He says, verse five, they are from the world and therefore they speak from the viewpoint of the world, and the world listens to them. Now let's look at verse 6. What happens when the people in the world listen to them? Well, we are from God, and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. And this is how we recognize, there's our answer, the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. You know how you know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood out there? You know by your relationship with Jesus. This is the most effective way from your head and your heart to know truth. And that is because I'm in a relationship with Jesus, guess what? I know the difference between the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. See, now I'm at the point in my life where I kind of know when I'm really not keeping God first in my life. And I know that when bad things are happening, you know, if something goes off the rails and I go, doggone it, I did it again. I didn't keep God first. I know God's in me. I know that he, greater is he who's in me than he who's in the world. And I know, true, that if I just stay focused on Christ, I will walk in the spirit of truth and not in the spirit of falsehood. That's how I know that I'm in good love and not in bad love. Now let's move on to verses seven through 10 because this is how we know what real love is. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Now notice this, is I'm in God, I can experience good love because God is the one who originates love. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. This is really important. He's not talking about the world's definition of love because that's false, right? He's talking about God's definition of love. When we love as God loves us, guess what? We are born of God. We know God. 
Whoever does not love this way does not know God because God is love. Verse 8 says the following. This is how God showed his love among us. So now we're seeing, okay, how did God love me? This is how he loved me. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10, this is love. This is it. You really want to know what real love is? Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Verse 10 then concludes the following thought this way. He's saying, this is what real love is. This is the real deal. So when I am loving the way others the way God loved me, I am in God and I am walking with God. It's all about the atonement. You see, I needed to be set free and I needed to be bought back and redeemed. And that's what Jesus Christ has done for me. And because God loved me this way, I now can be set free. That's very important to understand is that I'm not living in the love that the world describes. I'm living in the love that God exemplified. So let's move on to verses 11 through 16. And this is Jesus shows us real love. He is the example of it. Now, verse 11 and 16 goes on to say this. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So we ought to love each other as God loves us. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And this is how we know that we live in him and he is in us. He has given us his Holy Spirit. Verse 14 goes on to say the following, and we have seen and testify. We have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone acknowledges, you see the word there again? If anyone acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of God and God lives in them and they in God. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us because God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. Now I'd like to jump down to verse 20 and uh, 21 and, and let you kind of see the final thought. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God and yet hates his brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brothers and sisters whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and their sister. So what does that teach us? Well, that teaches us the following, and that is real love builds up other people and it builds you up. But bad love, subjective love, creates hate. It creates division. It creates heartache and pain. If you have a question about your life right now, maybe you are a young single person and you're thinking, man, I, I'm not a, a bad catch. I've graduated from university. I have a good job. Why is dating so difficult? 
Well, I'll tell you why dating has become so difficult in our world today. And that is is because most people that you're dating are approaching love from a subjective definition of love. That's right. They look at you as something that is going to meet their needs. They look at you as someone who's going to make them happy. And as soon as you stop doing that, well, we must not be in love. I just don't feel it anymore. And this is why dating is so difficult. This is why you feel so oftentimes let down or rejected. But when people approach dating from the way that God loves us, they're looking at someone who says, okay, God, is this a person that I can love sacrificially for the rest of my life? Is this a person that I can love with everything I've got? Now, I know I'm not perfect. I know that I'm going to make mistakes, God. But is this someone who I can pour out? And, and are we wired in a way or do we have a relational capacity in a way that makes us so that we can enter into a covenant? You see, that's why dating is so difficult. It's because no one is taught to do dating that way. Why are our politics so divisive? Right now, why are people like, I can't stand this candidate or this side, I hate them, our goal is to defeat them and destroy them. And rip. These are Americans that you're talking about. And these are other Americans that, that people are, are hating each other with a vitriol that you can't even imagine, all because of a political position. Why is that? Well, I'll tell you why. Because they have a subjective definition of love, and what they love is power. And they want to be able to force themselves and their positions on other people. That's not an objective source of love. An objective definition of love, when we love others as God loves us, people are supposed to be in public service to do that. Serve, not ingratiate themselves with power and and get more money. But that just seems like what's happened in our political situation. So what's going to happen? It's going to get more divisive and more vitriolic until it's swept over by an objective definition of love. But in a society that has chosen to reject God, the only definition of love that exists is a subjective one. And that's why what we are experiencing today in our world is a boatload of Gnosticism. Why are there protests and riots in the street? Why is that happening? Well, at its core, when you strip away all of the positions that people have and all the things that they say they're fighting for, what you really see is this premise of we define love from a subjective perspective. And when you define love from a subjective perspective, you can rationalize any human behavior as just. And that's when justice is lost. You see, love from a subjective perspective ultimately results in division and hatred. But authentic love, when we love as God loves us, it builds us up and it builds up other people. That is a truth that we cannot get away from. So let me close by asking the question again. What is Jesus doing right now? In the midst of all of this adversity, in the midst of all of this pain and suffering right now, In all of these uncertain times, what is Jesus doing? I'll tell you what he's doing is he is loving you through it. Jesus is loving you through it. My friends, when you are weak, he is strong. He lifts you up and puts your feet on a firm foundation. When you 
are brokenhearted because of the loss of, of your business or the loss of relationships or the loss of things, whatever it may be, God heals the brokenhearted. When you feel like you don't know where you're going, you have no idea what tomorrow may bring, you feel like you're flying blind, Jesus Christ gives sight to the blind. Maybe you feel paralyzed by fear and anxiety. You can't take the next step forward. You can't even get out the door and live. Jesus makes the paralytic walk. Why? Because of the power of his love. Everything that he's done, everything that he is doing is to love you through these times. He quenches the thirst of your soul, which becomes a wellspring that flows up inside of you and pours out on the people around you. He realigns your soul. His love is burning away the false belief, the false identities, the subjective definitions of love that you have running around in your soul. The things that you believe about yourself that aren't true. He's burning those things away. He is guiding you through the power of his love into new discoveries, new insights, new wisdom. His love is leading you into a new meaning and a depth of purpose. The answer to what's going on in this world is that Jesus Christ is going to love you through it. And love is so remarkable. It leads us down such unknowing paths. It guides us in ways we never imagined and brings to us new experiences of joy and fullness. I'd like you to hear a story of this from our very own Kate Wilson. Hello, everyone. In case you don't know me, my name is Kate Wilson, and I am the children's director here at Foothills Christian Church. Over the last two and a half years, I have really enjoyed getting to know all of your kids and seeing them meet Jesus and worship Jesus. I work with kids because I love them. I've always had a deep desire to be a mom one day. And getting married and having kids is easy, right? It happens for everyone, but it wasn't happening for me. I didn't think it would be this hard and I definitely didn't think I would be in my late 30s and still single. I've always known that I wanted to be a mom and I knew that I would be a great mom, but year after year passed with no kids because kids were all contingent on one thing and that was getting married. We are taught from a young age, first comes love, then comes marriage, and then comes those babies in the baby carriage. I began working with the foster ministry here at Foothills and my heart really went out to all those kids. So I decided to stop waiting for a man and on January 1st, 2018, I signed up to become a foster mom. There are two reasons that I signed up. I had a need and I saw a need. My need was I wanted to become a mom. And the need I saw was that there was 443,000 children in the foster system across the US on any given day. I figured I could help at least one. So I got online, filled out the application and started the process to reach my dream. Little did I know that that one simple step would change my entire life. Adoption has always been a desire of mine from the time I was seven years old. I've always known that I would adopt and, and that kids that were not biologically mine would call me mom one day. But I did envision doing it a little differently. The thing about my story is I didn't sign up to foster and adopt five kids under five years old. I signed up to foster one little girl but once I met the kids that I have now, I fought really hard to get all five of them in my home. I love the quote from David Platt. It says, we learn that orphans or foster kids 
are easier to ignore before you know their names. They are easier to ignore before you see their faces. It is easier to pretend that they are not real before you hold them in their ar your arms. So in February, I adopted my older four and they officially became mine. This was my biggest dream coming true. And not only that, but it was better than I imagined or expected it to be. Currently, I'm in the process of adopting my baby girl, who is the youngest sibling to my older four. We cannot wait for that day. She will officially be ours. Today, I am raising five kids, under five, all by myself. It is not what I envisioned at seven, but it is way better. I wouldn't have changed one thing from my past because it is what got me here today. The good, the bad, the ugly, all of that got me to where I am. Life was never meant to be easy. It's the hard things in life that push us to the right direction so that we meet our destiny. I want to thank Foothills because without all of you, this would not have been possible. You all have been so gracious with me as I took on five children. My kids know when they walk through the doors at Foothills, there are people waiting here to love them. And that is an indescribable thing to see as a mom. So thank you for loving them. Well, because of all this, I have decided to transition from the children's director. We will still be a part of kids' ministry and still be a part of Foothills, but I want to be more available to my kids as they grow. I love all the kids at Foothills, and I have been so blessed to be able to work with incredible volunteers and kids. Parents, you have some incredible kids who love the Lord and have huge destinies on their lives. Uh, a mom of five kids, five and under, in a very short period of time, that woman is going to need some serious strength. I mean, she's going to need some energy. She's going to need, and coffee ain't going to do it, right? There's not enough coffee in the world to keep her going. But I'll tell you what, is that each and every day, the Lord is giving her the strength. And she's being a great mom to those kids. And we're so impressed with what she is doing. And what a great way to to end the series. Everything we've been about, we've been about courage and strength, endurance. We've been talking about persistence, how to overcome suffering, sharpen your character, grab a hold of courage, live hopefully. All of these things come when you're loved by God. It doesn't happen when you love yourself. It happens when God loves you. We're, there's not enough love in us to give us the strength, the hope, the courage, and persistence to face the challenges of this adversity. But God's love does, and his love is with you. It's in you, poured out over you each and every day. My friends, I'm here to tell you the time has come for you to commit to Jesus Christ. If you've never taken a step into the life of Jesus, we'll show you how in just a moment, then now is the time for you to do it. Now is the time to say, I'm going to quit just thinking about it, wondering about it. I'm going to finally step fully and give my life to Jesus Christ. We have a booklet. We'll talk about how you can start doing that, especially if you're doing church at home or watching online. 
Take your next step in faith. Some of you have been Christians a long time, and I'll tell you what, the thing that you need to do to express God's love that he has for you is to serve in ministry. Our children's ministry in the month of August starting next week is going to be ramping up more and more and more and more. So many of our volunteers in our children's ministry, the dearest, sweetest people that love kids so much, are in vulnerable populations. So they can't come back right away. So that means all the rest of you can step up and say, I'm ready to serve. I'm ready to participate in loving kids because God has loved me. You may not realize this, but our production ministry right now is one of the primary ways in which our church is growing. We're reaching hundreds, sometimes thousands of people more and more each week. And because of that, it needs more and more production, more and more content. And so our production ministry is in need of you. It's in need of you to participate. All you have to do, they'll show you in a, in a minute, is text serve to an FH serve to a number. They're going to show you where you can do that or go online and sign up. You don't have to have any, any experience whatsoever because the people in our production ministry are phenomenal trainers. They like it when you don't know anything because then they don't have to break any bad habits. So the less you know, the better. So come down and be a part of this ministry because God is using it to grow his kingdom. And the one thing you always want to be a part of is the love of God as he grows his kingdom. Now let's let Dana close us out. She'll tell you how you can take the next step. Thank you for listening to this sermon of the week. Video footage of this sermon and others can be found on foothills.org.